Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. This is the word of God. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as you know, we are currently in a series through the first four chapters of Genesis. Last Sunday, we looked at the creation account in Genesis 1. God. You know, in 2013, when Carol and I left Philly and moved to LA, we actually drove cross country and we used that opportunity to visit different states and different historical landmarks. And we saw a lot of beautiful things along the way that made us marvel at God's creation. But I can tell you without a doubt that as breathtaking as some of those sites were, nothing made us feel the way we felt the first time we held our kids in our arms. I mean, even now, I look at my kids sleeping and I feel the joy of the Creator more palpably than I would if I were standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Now, when my kids are awake, completely different story, but you get the point. There's something different about humanity. There's something that separates us from the rest of creation and Genesis 1 tells us it's because we're created in the image of God. Now, this may not mean much to us, but for an early reader, this would have stuck out immediately. Because you have to understand that in those times, everyone lived under the rule of a king. And kings were basically seen as images of God on earth. We see this even in the New Testament. Caesar was often referred to as the son of God. And so when kings spoke and when they ruled, they did so with all the weight and authority of the gods themselves. And when they would conquer lands and territories, something all kings would do is they would set up these statues of themselves made in their likeness so that anytime you walked by that statue or saw that statue, you immediately knew whose territory that was. In other words, these were images of God created to represent who was in charge. Now, the second reason this would have stuck out to an early reader is that this was different from every other ancient creation story out there. Okay, in week one, I talked about how there were many different creation narratives floating around at the time. And in almost every other ancient creation story, human beings are nobodies. They're complete afterthoughts in the story of creation. Most of the stories revolve around the gods who work and then at some point get tired, realize they want slaves to do their labor, and so they create humans to be their slaves. This is the way the story goes. And I want you to think about this. If this were the origin of our existence, if human beings were just an afterthought, if they were created with no inherent dignity or worth or significance, 
then we couldn't really look at horrific things like genocide and slavery and consider them wrong. Because according to that story, this is the way it's supposed to be. According to that story, human beings aren't worthy of love, aren't worthy of dignity or respect. And so you have to imagine what it was like for an ancient reader to read these words for the first time. These people who, one, only associated the image of God with kings, and two, never thought of themselves as having any inherent dignity, value, or worth. This would have blown their minds. But it goes beyond this. Take a look at what it says in verse 28 and 29. It says this, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. In other words, not only are all human beings created in the image of God, all human beings without distinction are called to rule over creation. Not just kings, not just a certain small group of people. All human beings created in the image of God are called to rule over creation. This is the identity and calling of every person. And in an extremely hierarchical society where there were clear distinctions between rich and poor, between strong and weak, men and women, this would have been a shocking creation account to read. Now, what does this mean for us today? And I would argue that it means so much for us today. Understanding that we are created in the image of God, number one, changes the way we view ourselves. Changes the way we view ourselves. Here in LA, we live in a city full of beautiful people where celebrities and the rich and the famous and powerful are basically modern images of God who set the standard for how you're supposed to look, talk, and carry yourself in order to be accepted and valued. I mean, only in LA do people get dressed up to go to Trader Joe's. And I thought that would change during a pandemic, but for some reason, it hasn't changed at all. And we only have two possible responses to this. We can, we can either slip into comparison, we can slip into self-loathing, we can slip into envy, we can slip into a mindset that says, you know what, we're not worthy of love, we're not worthy of acceptance. Or we can live our entire lives bending over backwards, trying to meet an unattainable standard. But you see, Genesis 1 tells us that before we did anything, we were given eternal value and worth by the creator of the universe. And you know what's really interesting? I think it's so interesting that God tells us we're created in his image before he tells us to fill and subdue the earth. And it's this subtle reminder that who we are is not tied to what we do or what we achieve or what we accomplish. Who we are is whoever God says we are. Now, I know for some of us, we're saying, okay, I get that. I am who God says I am. But for some reason, I still don't feel content. I still want more. I feel like there's, there's more meaning and significance to be had in my life. And I would argue that the reason you feel that very real ache for meaning and purpose is precisely because you are created in the image of God because you are created with a specific 
purpose and a specific plan. You know, millennials often get a bad rap for people who are always searching for meaning, who are never satisfied with anything. Well, the Bible tells us that this is not a millennial problem, this is a human problem. And Genesis 1 tells us exactly why we feel the way we do. Now, I don't want to run down the rabbit hole of evolution and the Big Bang, but let me just say one thing about this. With all due respect to those of you who hold these views, if you believe that human beings are nothing more than a collection of atoms and molecules that are the result of a, of a cosmic accident, then if we're honest with ourselves, you really have no basis to believe that your life matters. I mean, if we're all here by accident, if this is all there is, we don't deserve to be here, then why should we care about what happens at work? Or why should we care about what happens in our relationships or in our studies if everything is an accident, if there is no meaning or purpose in the world? But I would say even for those of us who ascribe to these views, we all know what emptiness feels like. And the reason we do, the Bible tells us why we do. It's because we aren't an accident. We were created with a specific purpose by a perfect creator. It's as St. Augustine says, it's because God has made us and drawn us to himself that our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Okay, so number one, this idea of being created in the image of God changes the way we view ourselves. And number two, it also changes the way we view others. Because we all know that the way we view ourselves inevitably impacts the way we view and treat others. Now let me start by saying this. In a city like LA, in a progressive, liberal city like LA, uh, in the 21st century, I would guess that most of us would probably agree with this idea of universal human rights. Most of us would probably agree with the fact that racism is wrong, that sexism is wrong, that all systemic injustices of any kind are wrong. But have you ever thought about why you believe this? Have you ever just paused and wondered, I wonder why I think this, when so many cultures throughout history didn't believe this at all. When so many cultures throughout history had no problem with slavery whatsoever, had no problem with discarding the weak and the vulnerable whatsoever. Is it because we're more enlightened? Is it because we were just born smarter? Is it because we came up with this idea out of thin air? Of course not. If we look throughout history, and even secular scholars will admit this, this idea of universal human rights, the idea that regardless of someone's ethnicity, their background, their socioeconomic status, the color of their skin, that every human being is entitled to certain basic rights and privileges, this idea stems from none other than the Bible itself, from this theology of the image of God. Even the framers of the Constitution gained inspiration from this, and they wrote it into the document itself. Listen to what it says. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, somewhere down the line, we got it into our minds that, you know what? We don't need God to tell us how to treat people. We don't need the Bible to tell us what ultimate reality looks like. I think we can figure this out on our own. So you add the rise of philosophies like secular humanism, that is the belief that humanity is capable of morality without belief in God. And we said, you know what? We don't need God. We can do this by ourselves. 
But let me tell you why even something like secular humanism falls short. Because in a city like LA, which is a hotbed of secular humanism, where everyone here doesn't, is talking about how they don't need God, but we're still so tolerant and loving and accepting of all people. If we're honest with ourselves, even in a progressive city like LA, there are people many of us could do without. People who stand on the opposite side of the political spectrum, we could do without them. People who disagree with us, we could do without them. You don't need to look any further than your Facebook feed to see this. I have met some of the most so-called open-minded people in this city who can't even have a civil conversation with someone who disagrees with their point of view. This is the world that we live in. But you see, where secular humanism falls short, this idea of the Imago Dei is so robust. Because if we believe that every person is created in the image of God, then it doesn't matter who they are, what they believe, how different they are from us. It means that we're called to view them with inherent dignity, respect, and love. And not only this, I think this also means that Christians should be the first to speak out against systemic injustice. Christians should be the first to speak out against racism. Christians should be the first to stand up to protect the weak and the vulnerable and oppressed. Christians should be the first to care for the widow, the orphan, and the elderly. And this is what Christians in the early church did, which is why Christianity exploded. Because you had this community of people who at no benefit to themselves were risking their lives for, for people who frankly hated them. And people were like, who are these people and why are they doing what they're doing? And the Christians said, it's because we believe every human being is created in the image of God and is deserving of love, respect, and care. And I would say, as sad as this is to say, that for a lot of the churches in the West today, we've completely lost that impulse. In a society that still evaluates people based on their capacities, on their intelligence, on their net worth, you know, on their status, on their fame. The churches are no different. So many times it's Christians who find ways to keep certain people in and certain people out. So many times it's Christians who assess and evaluate people not by the fact that they're created in the image of God, but by the same standards used to evaluate people in society. And people look at the church and say, I don't want anything to do with that because that's what I get all the time. And you see, what this shows us is that the image of God is broken in all of us. It's completely broken in all of us. When people see us, they don't see the love of God. They don't see the compassion of God, the kindness of God, the generosity of God, the forgiveness of God. In fact, they don't experience God at all. Many times, when people from the outside look at Christians, you know what they see? They see judgment. They see hypocrisy. They see oppression. They, they see shaming, and they want nothing to do with it. So what do we do about this? Well, the Bible tells us there's absolutely nothing we could do about it. That the image of God is so broken in us that we can't possibly restore it on our own. So this is what God does. He sends His, Jesus, he sends his Son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, to show us what it looks like to live a life in the image of God. 
And in Colossians 1.15, it actually calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. And in that same passage, if we read from verse 19, it says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. In other words, the only one who perfectly represented God had to give his own life, had to shed his own blood, so that the image of God would be restored in you and me. Now, ironically, Jesus didn't look like the perfect image of God. In fact, Jesus looked like the very definition of someone we would want nothing to do with. He didn't come to this earth in a Bentley, in a three-piece suit, with his life all put together. No, Jesus came to this earth as a poor, disempowered, homeless man who was rejected by his own people. And God looks upon him and says, that is my beloved son. That is the perfect image of God. And it's as though God is teaching us that his standards of beauty are very different from our standards of beauty. And his heart breaks when we don't see that beauty in ourselves and we don't see that beauty in others. You know, a few months ago, my daughter Avery came home from school and she walked in and immediately broke down crying because someone in her class had basically made fun of her because of her haircut. Okay, she's four years old. Okay, this happens at a very young age. And I remember that night consoling my daughter and I remember saying to her, you know what? Don't worry about what anyone else says about you. I think you're the most beautiful person in the world. And this is what God wants us to know today, that he thinks we are the most beautiful creatures in the world, that he is absolutely enamored by us. And what are the implications of this? And I think this hits home a lot for us, especially in our current moment, because a lot of us find ourselves find ourselves struggling with this and experiencing the very real reality of how broken our image of God is, not only in ourselves, but in others. And this week, I want you to think, every time you encounter your difficult parents, your difficult spouse, your difficult kids, remember, they were created in the image of God. Every time you think about that annoying coworker who won't get off your case, he or she created in the image of God. Before you disregard and turn your back on that homeless person who asks for change, remember, he or she is created in the image of God. And the only way we can start to recover the image of God that has been broken in us is to gaze upon the perfect image of God that is in Jesus Christ, the Savior King, through whom all things that are broken are now being restored. Because in Christ, we can actually become representations of God. In Christ, we can actually learn how to reflect the Creator, learn how to reflect His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, His compassion, His hospitality, so that the watching world can look at this community and say, there is something different about them. There is something different about them. And so friends, that's my prayer and our hope, my hope for, the, for our church that this week 
we would fix our gaze solely on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who through his blood restored in all of us the image of God so that we would give, we would give that love and give that care and give that dignity to everyone we encounter. Let's pray. Gracious God, we look around at our world today and we see so many ways your image has been broken. And we confess that our lives often do not reflect the beauty and glory of our Creator. But we thank you for Jesus, for his perfect life and his sacrificial death that has made a way for that image to be restored. So this morning we fix our gaze on you and ask that you help us see ourselves and the world through your eyes. In Jesus' name. Amen.